Good morning. Welcome to Plainfield Bible Church. I hope you're looking forward to a time of fellowship and studying God's Word. Uh, I'll just warn you right off the bat, I told the elders this this morning, this is a humbling passage we're going to look at today. At least it was for me. If you're not humbled by it, I should be your friend because I should hang around you more uh, and hopefully learn from you. Because when, I, when we look at this man, Epaphrodites, today, it's, um, it's going to make you think, at least it did for me, well, I'm not like that. I should be like that, but I'm not like that. And it's a humbling thing. I think God's Word has a tendency to do that to us. If we're being very honest with, with ourselves, if we're looking at God's Word the way we should, it has a tendency to do that to us, to really bring us to our knees and humble us. So hopefully that'll happen with you today. I know it will. If you open up your heart to God's Word, it always does. So let me start us out with prayer, and then we'll jump right into the text in Philippians chapter 2. Heavenly Father, we love you. We glorify your name and praise you. You are deserving of it. As we came off of our Thanksgiving holiday, we don't want to stop giving you thanks. We don't want to stop uh, acknowledging who you are. We never want to stop uh, uh, praising your name and acknowledging the things that you've done for us, the things that you continue to do for us, the promises that you have for us, and the fact that you've empowered us to be different in this world, the fact that you've called us to be servants, and it's a very high calling, that we are called to impact the people around us, both our brothers and sisters in Christ, but even the non-believing world around us. And we do that so much in our action, uh, beyond just our words. They need to, to line up together, but the way we act and treat one another needs to be uh, in line with your word. We thank you for the ultimate example of your son. We know that uh, he took on flesh, fulfilled prophecy, lived out a perfect life, willingly died on a Roman cross and resurrected three days later for our sins. But he also showed us the right way to live, the right way to act, the right way to love, that servant's heart, that we need to continue to take on ourselves. And we have examples of that in Scripture today, too, and I pray that we can all begin to mimic that in our lives, that we challenge ourselves and discipline ourselves to do that. We know we can only do it with the power of your Holy Spirit. Anything eternal is beyond us. We need your help to do it. So help us today to do that, to see these words and to apply them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. And as you turn there, I'll show you where we're going with these few verses from 25 to 30. We're going to see an introduction here, and I'll just do a very brief introduction of Epaphroditus uh, in verse 25 and just kind of summarize what we know of him from the book itself, from the, from the letter, rather, of Philippians, what we know. And we really only know of him from this letter. Um, and then we're going to kind of break down how Paul breaks him down. What Paul is extracting, I think, in these few verses, that we can learn from a man like this, a servant like this. And the first thing we'll see in him is uh, that there's a lesson to be learned of looking beyond our own pain. That's not easy to do. And everybody has trouble and difficulty and pain, but it's, it's a call to the believer to look beyond your own pain and look to others. Uh, we're going to look at God's mercy in verse 27 and how he extends that in different ways very briefly. The joy we should find in verse 28 and 29 in other believers, but more specifically in the gospel itself being worked through other believers, and then honoring some brothers who are doing that, and then the concept 
of the all-in proposition of what a believer truly is. The idea that we are considering our lives forfeit for the sake of the gospel. So that's where we're going today. That's kind of how we're going to look at it. So go to uh, Philippians chapter 2. We'll read the whole text through. And then, as always, we'll break it down. So Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 25. Before I go through this, I'm going to briefly review from last week. We might remember last week, or last time, last week we were fellowshipping together. But last time in Philippians, we were being exhorted about the man named Timothy. And this exemplary example of of what a servant is like. And we're going to get a very similar thing here in Epaphroditus. Now, we know a little bit more about Timothy. Letters were written to Timothy. We have Timothy referred in many other books. Timothy was walking with Paul, and we have him in, in some of the major scenes in the book of Acts. Epaphroditus is a little different. We don't have much about him, but I think they're in the same vein. I think these two guys are very similar. They don't have the same relationship to Paul, but I think they're of the same character. And uh, I want to mention that simply because technically so are you. You have the Holy Spirit in you if you're in Christ. You've been called to this as well. You've been called to be different as well. So I think we can make a connection here. It's very easy sometimes when we look at a, 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 a biblical person, somebody who is a, uh, what we would call a hero of the faith, to almost consider it something that is so lofty that you cannot attain it. Well, Epaphroditus and Timothy didn't attain anything on, on their own. What they are and who they are is because of Christ. And that is exactly how it works for, for you and I. So just kind of keep that in mind as we go through this. It's humbling. I, I was extremely humbled by studying this. But I also understand But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not winning football games or basketball games or the, the lottery. That means I can sustain God's work in good times and bad times. He can do incredible things through me for his glory and for his kingdom. That's what it means. So when we look at things like this, yes, it should challenge us when we look at people like this, but it should also bring us to the understanding that Christ has a plan for me and he wants to work through me. All right, with that, that was my brief review. Verse 25, here's what Paul says. Coming off of this discussion of Timothy, verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. We're going to break all of those down. For he has been longing for you, for all of you, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. A lot there in that text, and we're going to jump into it right off the bat. Here we go. I know that's small, but let me just kind of give you a review of, or an overview of who he is before we kind of jump into this breakdown for us. This is going to be a lot of application for us today, but I want to spend a little bit of time on this man and you can kind of see some of these points that I've, I've kind of just given us an overview of who he is. And some of this is speculation. Some of this isn't scripture. It's what we think could be the case. Here's what we know about this particular name. Epaphroditus, it might make you think of Epaphrodite. And that is a, 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 a she's a Greek goddess. Okay, so Epapro, uh, this, this is a possibility. I'm only uh, assuming that this is true. This was a very common name. And it was a common name in this time because 
it was typically done, much like you see Christians do today. They'll use biblical names um, and name their children biblical names. We were joking about this yesterday watching a... Um, we were watching football, but they were bringing up stats from the soccer games, uh, the World Cup, and uh, there was there were several kids named Jesus, which we don't really do that very often. But it's kind of funny. That's what you'll see some in other cultures that are in a in in the Christian world naming their child Jesus. That's the same vein here. I think they were naming their children after goddesses or gods, Greek gods. But what's fascinating about this is this is. We're making the assumption he was raised in a pagan home. Okay? Because he has this name, and it was very common, and in each situation we know, historically speaking, where someone has named this, it's a false god that they're named after. Very likely that he was probably an adult Gentile who was converted to Christ. Now, that's just a side note, but it's also amazing to see God's work Throughout the world and throughout history, no matter what your situation, no matter where you are, if you're his, he's going to get you. He's coming for you. And you're going to hear the gospel, and it's going to move in you. And no matter what your family situation was, remember, he's coming to get you. are part of his family now. And we know that that can be difficult, as as we we realize. And we'll look at this at the end of the day today. But uh, Jesus didn't come to bring peace always. He came to bring a sword, and sometimes he divides family. So anyway, point two is... He, he more than likely had to make a tough decision in his life. There's probably family members who, who struggled with his conversion, who, who probably hated him for his conversion. That's a possibility. According to chapter 4, a little later, Epaphroditus brought financial help to Paul from the church at Philippi. Uh, as far as we know, the church of Philippi is the only one who was doing that, but he physically came to him. It is likely that the church in Philippi expected Epaphroditus to stay with Paul for a while. Based on what he's going to say to them, uh, about him. They don't expect him to come back, but he's giving them an update about his situation, about Epaphroditus' situation. So they expected him to be there ministering with Paul, maybe in a role like Timothy's. We don't know. Remember, Paul's in prison at this point in time. So we're, we're just speculating here. Um, but that's why he's explaining why he's coming back. And then he's going to encourage the church in Philippi to show honor to him. Now, some think, and I don't know where I fall on this, to be honest with you, you can only guess in some of these situations, and you'll see as we break this down that this could be the case, that some think that maybe the church in Philippi felt ashamed of him, possibly, because, you know, he didn't do the job he was supposed to do. He got sick, and now Paul's got to look out for him, and he's, he's worried, or they didn't believe that he was truly sick. Paul's giving an explanation, we already read it, but he's giving an explanation of how sick he was. Some speculate that because he's giving that extra detail, some of the church in Philippi didn't believe that, that he wasn't as sick as, he, as they claimed to be. You know, humans can be that way, right? Oh, he's not really hurt. That's, that, he's faking it. We see that all the time. I don't know if that's the case here, but there's an encouragement because he then doubles down and tells the church at Philippi, you should honor this guy. You should honor him because he's a hard worker. And then finally, he serves as an excellent example of what Christian service and brotherhood should be like and how it's representative. I, I want you to notice what I wrote on that last line of a transformed life in Christ, what it should look like, what we all should be shooting for, uh, pushing for. Okay, So that's kind of where we're going with this and how I'm going to break this down. 
the first section, let's look at verse 25 again. Um, and I'm going to give you a quote here first. But look at verse 25 again. As we read verse 25, I want you to consider this, and then I'm going to show you a quote from Alistair Begg. I'm going to read verse 25. I want you to consider this as somebody you'd like to be around or somebody you'd like to be. Because Christian life is relationship, isn't it? We're in fellowship. We're working together. We're working side by side. And we're, we're here at a church to stir one another up to love and good deeds, aren't we? That's what we're here to do today. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this on the way in, that there, there's a mindset of you go to church to be fed. That's, that's not true. You do get fed at a church. You go to church to serve other people. You go to church to, to, to help the brotherhood, to use the gifts that God has given you to encourage one another. But verse 25, again, I'll just bring this up, and then I'll go back to the quote here. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister to my need. That's the kind of friends you want, by the way. That's the kind of Christian friends you want right there. That list, which we're going to break down, and how you should apply this to your life, that's the kind of person you want to be, and that's the kind of person you want to be around, right? Look at what Alistair Begg says about this. Let me back up. I like this quote. He's talking about Epaphroditus here. He says this, When we talk about friendship within the body of Christ, these are the characteristics that we, sh- we would like to see. For these characteristics ultimately point us to the one who is the best friend of all, namely the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The best friends to us will always be friends who imitate Christ. Let me repeat that. The best friends to us will always be friends who imitate Christ. You will never have a better friend than a friend who points you to Christ. By their life, by their commitment, by their service, by their example, there will never be a friend, a better friend. And you and I can never be a better friend than when we are being that kind to those who are around us. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great summary of what we're going to look at today. So as we look at him and his life and the words that Paul uses about him, we need to put ourselves in that scenario. Am I being like this? Are the people that I, I associate with, are they pushing me to this? I think that's the whole point of this passage. I think Alistair gives us a good kind of understanding of that as, as we go forward. I think that helps us a little bit. So here's, here's the titles. Let me bring these up for you to see. Here's the titles he uses. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and then a minister. Specifically, he said to Paul's need. So these are the, the ones that we're going to quickly look at, and I want to just break these down. I, I had to trim this down to, it was way too big, because you could look at each one of these and spend almost an entire class period, right? You, you, you could spend an eye at 45 minutes on brother. You could spend 45 minutes on fellow worker and fellow soldier. I have limited myself to about a verse or two to each one of these to discipline myself. Otherwise, we'd be here and pastor would get very angry when I chucked or cut into his sermon time this afternoon. So I'm not going to do that or this morning. So here's, let's break this down. Brother. Here's brother. Paul's union with Epaphroditus is not based on just shared interest. I, I don't think he even knew him for very long. Remember, he has been sent by the church at Philippi to bring a, a monetary gift to help Paul. But here's what they're, he calls him this and, he, and all these other titles, it's the fact that they have been made one in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, a union between those two. I stole this from a commentary. I don't know which one, but I thought that was a good summary. Their union isn't because they, they both like the same team. It's not because they, they, they both you know, have the same favorite color. It's because they have the same Christ, and they have the same focus. 
And so that idea of brotherhood and, and what we understand, we have different interests in the world, but we're all unified, and we're unified in Christ. So this particular term that we see, adelphose, is this. There's 145 times that we see this in the New Testament. Jesus uses it at times, and sometimes it is used for a sibling, but most of the time it's used, it's used to talk about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice this, and I didn't use them all, but, and I'm certainly not going to go to all 145 occurrences, and you're welcome. But Paul uses this title of fellow 36 different times in his, in his letters to the church in Corinth, and 23 different times in, in the same exact Greek word to the church in Thessalonica. John uses it in both the first and third epistles that he wrote, and those are very short comparatively, and he uses it six different times, same exact word. So it's something that is certainly used a lot in that time and in that place. I want to take you to one in in, uh, 1 Thessalonians that Paul uses, because he talks about it here as being a unification based on the gospel. Just look, let's look at this for just a second. Paul says this, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2-5, right at the introduction to his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, same Greek word, he'll, he'll use in connection with this, why your brothers and sisters? Look at this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, very similar to what we've been talking about, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the unity. Notice this now. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. But look, because our gospel came to you, it's, you're unified, you're loved by God, you're chosen by God because you heard the gospel that came to you. And notice, not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. We're unified because we all heard the gospel at some point in time. You heard the gospel, you saw it lived out, somebody shared the gospel with you. The Lord drew you to himself. He convicted you, moved in your heart. By faith you believed in Christ, and we're now in the body of Christ together. That is what brotherhood is all about. A lot of things bring us, our paths are very, are very different. If I were to take a poll of the testimonies of the people in here and beyond, boy, the variety would be incredible. And that, that, that would be kind of fun to do. Maybe we should do that sometime, to hear everybody's testimony. But what unifies us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It always will for every believer throughout all generations. You know, it doesn't just unify us in here. It unifies us with these people who originally got this letter that we will spend eternity with. You ever stop and think about that sometimes? That the gospel is so universal that it, is, it, it goes through time and space that we're unified to people of different times and, and cultures and countries and history that we will spend eternity unified in the gospel because of what Christ did. Amazing, really, when you think about it. And, of course, we all share the Holy Spirit driving us to do these things. Anyway, incredible when we consider what brotherhood really looks like. I want to make one little connection from Romans 7, considering what we've been talking about for so long in our, uh, in our study through Galatians. Look at this unification. Romans 7, 4, very briefly. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Notice, brothers died to the law so that you may belong to one another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear the fruit of God. So I think that's a neat connection based on what we've been studying for so long in our second hour 
the idea that we're no longer you know, slaves of the law, but we're unified. We're brothers in Christ. We've died through the law, and now we are brothers that we're, we'll be producing fruit. We're bearing fruit together that, that we now are part of this new covenant. Anyway, just a connection. I, I wanted to throw that one in just so, so we can see how this is all fluid. It's all going together. He's using this example here for us to understand this. That, and, and honestly, coming off of Romans 7, it's kind of an interesting thing, but um, that this is uh, this this idea that that um, we 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 no longer are kind of stuck in this old system, but together we've got this freedom. Just kind of an interesting thing. All right, I don't want to spend too much time on this. The next one is fellow workers. Now look at all these examples where we see the same exact Greek phrase. Paul uses this of a lot of people in the New Testament. Now, why is that significant? Why does that matter? Why do I put this up here? Because it's not unique just to Epaphroditus. So that means it's not just unique to these guys either. This should be applied to you as well. Fellow workers are all around us, right? So I don't go to your job, wherever that is. Okay, I'm sure you're thankful. I don't go to your job doing what you do, your expertise, whatever that is. God has put you there. You are a fellow worker with me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever you encounter. You don't teach teenage kids, and I'm sure you're thankful for that too. That's my job. I do that every day, and I'm a fellow worker with you. But what are we doing? We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we may go. We are living it out. We are, we are letting the fruit of the Spirit come out in our life. We're not, we're not resisting it. We're allowing ourselves to become transformed into this likeness of Christ because we're fellow workers. These are all different examples of people that were given that same title because they're all in the same game. They're in the same business. We're all the same thing. And of course, you may be thinking, this is probably where I'm going. 1 Corinthians 3, you may remember the church in Corinth. Well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I'm sure there was plenty others. I follow Peter. I follow Christ. Here's what Paul says. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. See, we're unified in what we're doing here. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. That's going to connect to the very next point I make. Just keep that in the back of your head. For we are God's fellow workers. Huh? That's a better perspective, isn't it? Yes, we are fellow workers with one another, but we're God's fellow workers. It's shocking to me still that God has chosen to use somebody so pathetic as me to make his appeal through. I I can't believe that he would use me as his ambassador. I I feel very much like Peter does when he, he drops to his knees in front of Christ and says, depart from me, I'm wicked, I'm, I'm vile. Don't, you don't know how bad I am. I hope we all feel that, but that tells you something about our Lord that that there are not many of us who are wise according to worldly standards, right? Not, not many who were, who were great according to worldly standards, but he chose to use what was kind of unwise, what, what, wasn't, what, what the world would say is, is great. That's how he wants you to be, by the way. He wants you to be humble in that service. We're God's fellow workers, and what an honor to be a co-heir. Undeserved that, that we get to be a part of this kingdom. Okay, but that's very important to consider. Now, notice I said, that right here, this part is that, that we will receive his wages according to his labor. Uh, that's a humbling statement too. 
Notice what Paul says here, 2 Timothy 2, speaking of your work, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We will face Christ someday, and he does care about how we handle this word. He cares about how we use our talents and our gifts. He cares about the opportunities that, we, that we've been given by him. By grace, you've been given opportunity, and he cares about how you use it. So that fellow worker comes with a responsibility, doesn't it? We've got a job to do, and God wants us to do this. God wants us to take part in this kingdom. If we're co-heirs, we got skin in the game. All right, the next one that he mentions is a fellow soldier. Paul loves this term. Paul uses soldier a lot. He talks about fellow soldiers. Oh, I went through this and I took this slide out, but there's, there's at least, when it, between soldier and warfare, there's at least 10 other references, if you, if you connect the dots, between the war that we're in. Now, now, what kind of war, before we even look at the 2 Timothy 2 passage, what, what kind of war are we in? Well, we're, we're at war with the world system, most likely, you know, when we, that most surely, I, rather. We're certainly at war with the, the false ideas that are out there, philosophies and ideas of what, what, what you know, holiness is and, and what goodness is and what path to heaven. We're at war with false claims of righteousness, no doubt. But we're also at war with the sin nature that we have. That's another kind of warfare that we're in. And we're at war with a real enemy. The fallen angels, Satan at the, at the head of them, they're fighting against us. The principalities and, 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 and the powers of the air, no doubt about it. But what we see here is what Paul reminds Timothy of. Remember, he's in the same conversation in Philippians. Right before this, in verse 23, or excuse me, 22 through 24, we see Timothy mentioned, and here's what he says to Timothy, calls him a soldier too. I think both of these guys being called soldier is, is important. Notice what it says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and when you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, he's challenging him to take this to the next generation to be the leader he should be, who will be able to teach others also, encouraging others, fellow workers, connect those dots, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Notice why he says this. I taught this to my seniors this week when we were talking about persecution. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Well, what do we take from this? Well, if we're soldiers of the king and, and, and we're in the battle, we're engaging, well, the idea that we need to have is our hyperfocus is on this gospel work. Our hyper-focus is to not get entangled in the, oh, the distractions of the world, which i got to say, 2022, Christian, we got more than maybe ever before. You're walking around with the distraction in your hand with that cell phone of yours, I'm sure, and I like to judge everybody because I don't have a cell phone. You know how I do that, you know, self-righteousness that your Bible teacher has here this morning. But I have my own distractions, of course, too. We live in a stimulus generated world where everything's two three minute clips right we're distracted by everything we're distracted by our own selfish desires and reality though isn't it whatever that might be we we can pick our poison what he's telling us soldiers don't do that soldiers know the job they know the fight and they keep their eyes on the prize and they keep their eyes on their general the one who enlisted them their king more specifically and what he wants we do his bidding and that's the way we need to be. I think it's also interesting when we make the connections. You know, Christ always calls us, he equates a good Christian to a child, a childlike faith. John will even call believers children. 
I, I think it's also important to, to understand why 18-year-olds go to war and not 45, 50-years-olds. Because we're thinking if a general told me, hey, go take that machine gun nest, and I'm you know, 40, 50 years old, it's like, you know, I got a better idea. Let, let me go this way. But what will an 18-year-old do? Okay, I'll do it. Let's go. I'll do it. That's the mindset that we need to have. Okay, I want to just try to equate that spiritually. God says do it. All right, I'll, I'll do it. I, I'm going to do it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't have to make earthly sense. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow the one who enlisted me. That's the concept here. We are the soldier for Christ. All right, the next one is messenger. We're going to hustle through these. A messenger sent by Christ. And when we see this, and he talks about a messenger, we have, you could be, this could be a dangerous game because messenger here is the same word for apostle. Okay? But I want to just back up from this for a second. Paul is not claiming that Timothy or Epaphroditus is an apostle. It's a word that is used in the same vein, but they are not apostles. Apostles were people who, men who, a very select group of men who were with Christ during his ministry, saw his death and resurrection, and saw a resurrected Christ, had a physical appearance of Christ, that were hand-selected by Jesus himself. That is a very select group. Okay, So, not what he is. What this is, though, same word, is a messenger sent by Jesus himself. Jesus will use this of his apostles, but I think then when we look at this John 13 passage, he is talking to his apostles, but I think this can extend to us when we consider about the Great Commission. I want to pick this up in the middle. Jesus speaking to his apostles, talking to these men. He says, For I have given you an example that you also should not just do as I have done to you, you know, washing their, their feet. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger. And yes, he's speaking to apostles, but I think that's beyond that. You are messengers too. You're bringing about the word that God has given us that you were saved by to the world. You're bringing that to the world. You're a messenger of that, greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So a humble messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ, certainly the apostles were spoken of here, but it goes to us as well. Now, what do I have for that? Well, we'll go to 2 Corinthians 8. This we're talking about here. These are, in this example, these are not apostles either. These are some unnamed men that were not of the twelve, and they weren't Paul. We know of Titus who is mentioned in here, but there's two other men, don't have time to look at the context, that are mentioned here. This has to do with um, bringing money to the church in Jerusalem. So to put your head in that. But I want you to know the language that Paul uses here. Talking about being a messenger for Christ's glory. So speaking of these unnamed men that we don't know, but that are going to go with Titus to bring this gift offering. Verse 22, And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters. We don't know who this brother was. Earlier in the passage there's another brother, unnamed, that's going to be there but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, there's one that was mentioned in an earlier passage, and then this other one, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ Jesus, or glory of Christ. They're not apostles, but they're called messengers. Messengers of the truth of God's word. Now in part, they're bringing a financial gift, but they are doing God's work. And then it says, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. This is going to connect to what we're going to talk about a little later. That these are fellow workers, 
fellow servants, soldiers, but also messengers of the truth. So we see not just apostles called messengers, but believers who bring the truth of God's word for God's glory. Notice the glory of Christ. All right, the next one, minister to Paul's need or minister to the need. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we know what we should be doing. Notice what Paul tells to the church, or the warning he gives to the church at Ephesus here. Give no opportunity to the devil. Now, what's the context? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him who labored doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's the context? Paul's talking about the fact that he'll work hard and continue to to work hard for, to, to, to satisfy his own needs. He's not going to desire or ask for money from other people. But he's also extending that to the believer, that when you work hard, you make money, you're also doing that not just to support yourself, but for what? To share with anyone who is in need. A big piece of being a believer in Jesus Christ is seeing the need and then doing something about it. Okay? Certainly we are those who bring the message of the truth. Certainly we are those who who care about the people around us, and, 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 uh, and, and we have relationship with them. But we also see a physical need, and we do something about it. We see a, a something that is maybe a financial need, and we do something about it. Notice this here, 1 John three sixteen through 18. Notice he says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But notice what he connects this to, very similar. If anyone has the world's goods, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, notice I mentioned that earlier. John uses us, talking about us as children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. you got physical, you have, let's say you've been blessed by the Lord, financially, resources, and you see somebody in need. It's our call to do something about it. We don't just talk about it, we do something about it. Epaphroditus was on that very mission, bringing, certainly, some of it was his money, and he brought it to to the Apostle Paul. So that's the titles we have for him. Now let's kind of look at the the detail of what we're given, looking beyond our own pain. This is fascinating. Back to Philippians chapter 2, if you're there. Philippians 2. Fascinating idea here of what we see. Philippians 2, and I'll bring this up on the screen. Here's what we see. Verse 26, for he has been longing, Epaphroditus, for you, for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. This is shocking when we think about this. I want to skip down to 30 for a second. Here's how ill he was. He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He, he decided to sacrifice of himself to come to Paul. Even though he was sick, he decided to do this. He was willing to do this, I guess is a better way to put this. Uh, He was willing to do this and go beyond himself. Now, why do I say look beyond your own pain? Did you see what I just read? And this one really humbles you. He was ill, near to death, it, it says, but he was distressed because he heard that you were upset that he was ill. I mean, is that you? When you're sick, real sick, or in real pain, and I've been there. I'm sure some of you have been there. Um, Chip and I were talking about back pain. You know, some of you have had nerve pain in your back, and I was just wrecked with pain from a back uh, problem that I had, ruptured some discs and disc material all over. He's going through that right now. He's already been through it one time before. i got to be honest with you, and I'm going to be humble here. I wasn't thinking about other people. I was thinking about my pain in my back, and I couldn't walk, and I couldn't sleep, and it was terrible. This guy goes beyond, he was, he was upset that other people were upset that he was sick, 
that he was hurt. Boy, that's Christ-like uh, care. That's, that's Christ-like gentleness. That's Christ-like kindness. That's Christ-like sympathy. We don't, I, I gotta say, we don't get that naturally. This man certainly, if you think about this, this man was certainly looking beyond himself. He saw his pain, certainly, but when he heard that others were upset, it bothered him even more. Let me show you this quote from Francis Chan talking about this exact moment. This verse is remarkable because Epaphroditus is the one who's sick. Yet we don't read of any self-pity. Rather, quite the opposite. He's not concerned about himself. He's concerned about the anxiety of the Philippians. I must admit that this is a challenging example. I, I agree, Francis. When you get sick, do you turn inward? Do you want to call your mom and have her make you chicken soup? <laughs> Me too. Well, Epaphroditus is was much worse than the common flu. Remember, near death. Yet he considers others more important, even in his sickness. And What verse do you think of? You think of this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. We already covered this a few weeks ago. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Paul had just told them this in a letter earlier. And now he's giving him an example of this. Of somebody of their own flock who was doing this exact thing. Can you see that? This was in Philippians 2. Just a few, remember, this was all read at the same time. Just a few verses later, here's a guy that just did this. He's in severe pain. He's nearly dead, and he was concerned about you. But then he says this, But let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Pretty amazing when you think about that. A couple more examples. Love one another from Romans 12 with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 5, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. The proper time he'll exalt you. All right, next one, verse 27, God's mercy. God's mercy. It's kind of interesting when we see this. Philippians 2.27, this is their next verse, says this. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. There's a lot I could take from this, and I had to kind of just focus on one thing. God's mercy. We could talk about his sorrow, Paul's concern for Epaphroditus. We could talk about that, the anxiousness that came with that. But I think the real important thing here is God's mercy. I, I really do. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at that. I think the first way that you mostly are thinking of it is this. Salvation. God showed mercy on you when you didn't deserve it. Maybe the most famous of all New Testament passages when it comes to God's mercy is that you, undeserving as you are, Ephesians, or, uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, going down the way of the world like everybody else and sons and daughters of wrath, but what happened? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we know mercy primarily, when we think of it as self, uh, from a Christian perspective, is salvation. No doubt about it. But it's beyond that. It's without question beyond that. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says about this. And we, he says this again in, or earlier in Hebrews 2.18 when he's talking about God who helps those because he's been tempted in every way. So he knows how to help you. He can show you mercy to you because he loves you in your daily walk. But look at what it says. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Notice that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help us in time of need. Oh, it's salvation, no doubt, but it's in your daily walk. We've been talking about this quite a bit here lately. It's come up so many times in Sunday school and in the second hour that grace is so much more than pardon. It's in the every day that we do for the name of Christ. The things He's doing through us, He's going to give us mercy in those moments. Now, does that mean that if you're going through it and you're through the ringer and you're in the worst and you pray for the, to the Lord that he'll, he'll take this away, that He will? Well, Paul will tell you that's not true. What he will tell you, though, is when he prayed for his thorn to be removed, that God's answer to him is, my grace is sufficient for you, right? That's what we do see, that mercy is still given to you even if you still have to go through the pain, even if you still have to die of cancer, even if you still have to to have everything taken away from you, God's mercy is still there and his grace is still there. And I think that's the reminder here, is that he knows what you need, and he's there, and he cares about you. He's a good father, and I think that's an important thing to understand. All right, let's land the plane here in the last four or five minutes. These last couple verses, and if we have time, we'll finish with 30. We already hit 30, but I've got a point to make about 30 that we may not get to today. We'll see. Verses 28 and 29, let's look at these. Verses 28 and 29. Here's what we see. Joy and honor given here. I am the more eager now to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Joy in seeing a brother in Christ. That you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. Not just him, but honor such men. So let's take the first part of this. The joy piece. What should you find joy in as a fellow brother and sister? What should you look at in life and say, this brings me joy. I rejoice in this. Well, there's a few different things that I'm going to try to take from Scripture here very quickly that I think we should consider something that brings us joy. Here's the first one. From Philippians 2, 28 and 29, we see that this is called to us. Here's the first one. 3 John 1 through 4. Notice this. And when I just, I'm going to read this out. The elder to the beloved Gaius, we don't know who he is. He's only mentioned here. We have no idea. Whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be good in health as that it goes well with your soul. Notice what John says about him. I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you were walking in the truth. Before I even read the next line, which we oftentimes use for our own children, which is great, he was rejoicing that this guy, Gaius, was walking in the truth. It brought him joy to see fellow believers walking in the way of the Lord. And it should bring us joy too. Yes, we find joy in a lot of different things in our walk with Christ. But are you looking at other people around you and saying, look at them, they're doing what God's calling them to do. That motivates me, but it brings me joy. It makes me happy. It it makes him happy maybe because he taught him and maybe he has led him. But it's a fellow believer that he just heard a report about it and brought him joy. And then John says this. We often use this for our children, and that's okay. But he's talking about fellow believers here in context. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children. He's not talking about his physical children. He's talking about fellow believers, those who he's taught, that they're walking in the truth. That should bring you joy, to see other believers doing what God's called them to do. So that's one example. Here's another example of joy. It's when the gospel's proclaimed. Acts 15, 3 through 4, we've studied this a while ago. Being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. And this is right after they, there was a great division, if you recall, between um, Paul and Barnabas. 
And, but yet they're still proclaiming the gospel, describing in detail the conversions of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. What brought them great joy? People getting saved, the gospel being promoted, whether that's here or with other people, you hear other people proclaiming the gospel, and people getting saved, that should bring you great joy. I want to tell you, your elders, we pray for people getting saved all the time here. It's one of the desires that we have because we know what we're here for, and we're here to certainly build up the body of believers, but for people to get saved, that's what we're here to do, and that should bring you joy. So this was thrilling to them. And then let's move on here. We've got to finish up. Esteem them very highly. Who? Who are we to esteem very highly? Yes, it brings us joy when these people are doing this, but Paul uses this same terminology, the same sort of thing that he, he says here. Now keep in mind, I'm going to reread Philippians 2, how he wrote this. He says this, such men. He says, uh, verse uh, 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Men like him. Okay? Not just Epaphroditus, but men that are living that way, that are serving the Lord in that way, that are leading in that way. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, very similar type language. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, I don't want you to think, I need you to praise your elder board. That's not what this is specifically. Could be men on the elder. Could be men serving around you. There could be women serving around you. It could be fellow believers that you see working for the Lord and working tirelessly with joy and with honor and with gratitude to the Lord. And because they want to see the gospel promoted, they want to see people saved. You should honor that. We honor a lot of things in this culture. We honor all kinds of things. I uh, from athletic prowess to financial success to you know having a a, a, a a business that's booming, we do all kinds of things like that. But what should we really honor people for is honoring Christ to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Certainly, that should happen amongst us. We should we should be thrilled when we see other people leading in a way that that. It inspires us to do the same. We should, we should look around and find ways in which we can encourage the people around us who are sacrificing. And, and you know what, brothers and sisters, there's some who do that around here that you never see. I'm going to challenge you to look for those people who, they're not up front here talking and being a big mouth like me. They're, they're working in and around us, and we never see them. We never see them. And, and you need to find them. And you need to thank them, and you need to honor them for serving the Lord in such a humble way. Okay, So please don't take this like I want you to. Standing up here is easy for me. This is what the Lord does. He's given me a gift to teach. So what? There's gifts that are all around us right here, right now, in amongst us, that are even greater, that are serving people on a very individual basis. And I must tell you, honor those people. Honor those people. Please go out of your way to honor those people. We don't have time. I've already gone on. But let me just end with this. Be all in. Could you be all in like he is? Verse 30, I'll just finish with this. We don't have time to finish the way I wanted to, but I think we did. Verse 30, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in you and in his service to me. Christ has called you to surrender all to him. Give it all up to him today. I'm, I'm not talking about salvation here, although if you're not in Christ, please, today's your day. But if you are in Christ, don't hold back. 
You've been called to be an Epaphroditus, a Timothy, a Titus. You start naming those names. A you in 2022 who's been called to live this way for the name of Jesus Christ and to encourage others to do the same. Be all in today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to do these things. What a challenging passage this is. What a great example he was and so many others. But we also know that they only did that because your Holy Spirit empowered them to. We know that they were just human beings like us. They were just servants that were saved by grace like us. And that you've put this in your word for us to do today. So I pray that we can be this way, encourage one another in this way. And I do thank you for these servants that are, are not as well known, that are in and amongst us. And I pray that we honor them. Uh, not in a way that's self-glorifying or taking your glory away from, from you, but to honor these people, these men and these women who are serving in and amongst us without recognition. And we want to encourage them to continue to do the same, and it should inspire us to be that way too. Pray that we can be the friends and the fellow believers that um, Epaphroditus was. And we can be those sorts of people so that we collectively, who are all on the same team, working for the same goal, that we are all, some planting and some watering, we are all here to proclaim your truth. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to do that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.